Hello and welcome. The condition, the human condition, ourselves and the parts from which we are comprised are a constant challenge to understand and comprehend. But what one could suggest respectfully and humbly is that the essence of man is beyond comprehension. And the parts of self that we are so familiar with and very often identify and even define ourselves by are in truth illusory and not the intrinsic reflection or better the intrinsic nature of our being. What I mean is as follows, if you take the person and you move from the outer layers of self to the innermost in a four-level progression, beginning with the outermost shell of being, which would be the person's possessions, the clothes he wears, the car he drives, the watch he sports, and use those as his badges of identity. could move one step further and look at the physical body, the way he looks, his hairstyle, the measurements of his upper torso, not to disregard the size of his calves, of course, and his body in its entirety, including his facial features and how well his eyes are spread or not spread out over his face, how perfectly symmetrical his jawline is, and the like. So a person may identify with the physical side of self. You could go even one step deeper into the level of personality and the person could feel who he is by how he responds emotionally to given situations. You could even go one level deeper to a person's thoughts and his values and you could say, I'm the person I am because this is what I believe in. This is the way I conceive of things. Those are the three levels which we played out, sorry, four levels we played out, which are a person's possessions, his physical body, his personality, and his thoughts, which correspond, of course, to actions, feelings, and thoughts. And then we said that all of those dimensions of who we are, which really, with, with our work, without deep, I don't mean this in its normal con- with its normal connotations, without deep meditation, contemplation, we're going to land up living in those aspects of self. That's just where we're going to be. Because to rest ourselves from the clutches of that shallow expression of who we are, it requires introspection. And when we do introspect, we'll discover that the essential dimension of self is actually, and this is really counterintuitive, beyond our very own comprehension of who we are. 
that if we truly grasp ourselves, we, are, we will realize that nothing we could use to think with will, be allow, will allow us to grasp who we are. Because of course, if our essential definition is a soul, and the soul is a, as it were, piece of God, and because God is incomprehensible, there's nothing we can say about Him, that means there's really, in truth, nothing we can say about ourselves either. Because our essential part is something which doesn't lend itself to the construct of language and thought, which are limited in terms of their parameters and delineations. Now, that's a great theory, but imagine living in that way. How would it change the experience of, for example, my personality? Right now, I identify with my personality as me. If I identified with my soul, how would I identify my personality? So this would be a dramatic shift. And the dramatic shift would occur in the following way. Instead of me feeling that my personality is me, I would feel my personality is something I use as a vehicle of expression of a deeper me. Instead of me looking at my body as me, I would say, this is the vessel I use to express a deeper me. But the deeper me is always at the forefront of what I'm trying to do, and that's the energy that charges even my thoughts. It's the thing that inhabits my thoughts. And that's why my thoughts can actually be described as a form of clothing. Just as the clothing covers over the body, but you can still see the shape of the body underneath it, so too my thoughts can cover over the energy of the soul, but you'll still see the shape of the soul underneath that. And therefore, the shape that the thoughts that carry the soul take will be very different from the shapes of the thoughts that carry the other part of self, which we're about to discuss. So right now, just to summarize and to clarify the message that we're trying to convey, a person is constructed of many different layers. Simply speaking, without thought and active self-development, our default sense of identity will rest in one of those four levels of self, or it will be spread across those four levels of self, and people at different stages of their lives and at different components and composite personalities will have different weights of identity in different parts of their being. Some people may be intellectuals and they will really identify with the intellectual component of self. Other people will be more feeling people and identify with the emotions. People will be more physical and identify with their bodies and there will be people who will be more materialistic and identify with their possessions. And all of us will probably be some mixture of all of those. So there will be parts of ourselves where we will still enjoy putting on a Giorgio Armani suit and looking like really super cool and there'll be a part of us that will look and feel fantastic because we've got a ripped six-pack the marshal there'll be parts of us which will feel great when we when we express our own emotions and our feelings and there'll be parts of us which, which all we like enjoy thinking a thought or having a value so we spread over and we have all those things at the same time. But what I'm challenging you with is, and that's none of that, none of that, that's a complete and total missing yourself. And we're about to make it slightly more sophisticated, but right now we're presenting those things are essentially there to be used as vehicles of expression for a higher entity, which is your soul. But based on the nature of the soul, those thoughts, feelings, actions, and possessions will look different when they carry the soul, when they are vessels for carrying the soul. So for example, for example, a thought that carries a soul will be a thought which is connected to an eternal spiritual concept. 
a thought of understanding the, the divine in some way or another. That thought carries the energy of the soul in it. An emotion which carries a soul will be an emotion which reflects the beauty of the soul through an act of kindness or the strength of self-discipline. An action which carries a soul will be when you employ your physical body again as an act of self-restraint, just as one example, as an act of caring for another, as another example. And the physical possessions which carry the soul will be a very simple illustration when you take of what you possess and own and give it to another who is in need. So then all those things act as a clothing for this lofty being called the soul and the soul becomes the energy that's contained within those actions. And then you respond to those things as vehicles of expression of this higher sense of being. You become deeply locked into this incredible power of worth, of eternity that has, uh, which has become a prominent player in your conscious being and everything will be glut and good. Good, that's great. The problem is there's a competitor who seeks to use all those things, your thoughts, your emotions, <coughs> your physical body and your possessions for a completely different purpose. And that different pers- purpose has got two degrees of um, two degrees of negativity attached to it. The first is the first attempt to use those things for its own purposes, which we'll call this the soul use on the one side, we'll call the other side the anti-soul. The anti-soul. He's anti-spiritual. The anti-spirituality of man has got two different components to him. The first component is he's purely physical, and the second component is he's destructive of spirituality. The first component, which is purely physical, he's not on an all-out mission to destroy spirituality. He's just there to pursue physicality in its mundane sense for no evil design. Just simply to indulge in this world, or not even indulge, to partake in this world for this world's sake. A deeper level is when it becomes destructive indulgence. I I realize that I'm speaking in very abstract terminology, but hopefully in the course of our discussion things will become clear and we'll illustrate it with more cogent examples. But just let's take this thought to its logical conclusion. So on the one hand you've got this lofty, beautiful, pristine soul that can use the vehicles of thought, of emotion and of action and possession to care itself and express itself in this world. And then you've got the anti-soul. And the anti-soul can also use the vehicles of thought, of emotion and action to carry itself into this world. So. As an example, if the anti-soul takes hold of the thoughts, so instead of thinking, plumbing the depths of the brilliance of the Creator and His beauty and love for us, as an example, you could use that same vehicle to plan how you're going to hurt someone and exact revenge for something that they didn't even do. And you can generate an entire thought process and you can, you, can, you can logically think it through. You can use your emotions as a vehicle of hatred, of discord. You can use your actions, that same, that same hand that you used to help a person 
up the steps, you can clench into a fist and use it to smash his face. And those same possessions that you use to give to another, you can actually either on the simple level use it for yourself and disregard others, or on a worse level, steal it from them. So essentially, the possessions, the actions, the emotions, the thoughts can be taken over by one of two forces. Either they're an expression of the soul, or they're an expression of the anti-soul. And the anti-soul has got two levels of expression. The one level, the anti-soul, is expresses himself as pure mundane activity. He's in this world for this world's sake and nothing beyond it. There's no meaning, there's no overarching goal. I'm here to eat, drink and sustain myself. And therefore a person can live in that world and live an absolutely normal life. It has no deeper component to it. A normal life would mean that he goes to work to make a living so he can feed his family, so he can live and die. And he's responsible in those obligations. But there's nothing larger, there's nothing beyond that, other than he's living what's called an animalistic existence. So these two things, the soul and the anti-soul, which use the vehicles of thought, of emotion, of deed, and of possession to express themselves, are the two warlords which are battling over the sovereignty of our beings. Who's going to take over? Will it be the soul that rules us and therefore she can control and utilize all these different components of self? Or will it be the anti-soul that will rule us and take over and rule and inhabit our thoughts, emotions and actions? That conflict, that conflict is the war that rages within. We are, this is a battle. The analogy is given to these vehicles of self are referred to as Ir Hakitana, this tiny village, and these two kings warring over who's going to control this village. Are you following me so far? So this is a, a what I've just conveyed to you now. I haven't borrowed the exact language that the Baal HaTanya uses, but essentially I've described to you the Tanya, the Tanya's version of the way that what he calls the Nefesh Elokis, the godly soul, and the Nefesh Bahamis and the animal soul battle it out in the struggle for sovereignty over us. I would like to take that model and use it as an initial lens to look at the Derech Hashem, which we are studying now, and see if the model that the Ramchal presents is different, the same, or related at all. Um, if you'd like to join me in the text, I think that would be a great endeavor. At this point in time, I will brief, briefly break for any um, questions which you would like to be asked at this point in time. Do you have any questions? Joel, Shama. Could we say that this fourth level of like the intellectual is closest to like the the essential? Absolutely. Self? In other words, if you could if you could describe levels of proximity, the furthest thing away from us are our possessions, and the closest thing are our thoughts. Simply because of the nature of the way these vehicles operate, a thought is something which is so close to you that it's not visible to others. It's completely personalized. A possession is completely visible to others and is generic. You bought it from somewhere else. It's something which can be transferred. It's, it's not perpetually connected to your being. 
the closer something is to you, the more it's connected to the inner parts of yourself. So therefore, the closest things we have to ourselves are our thoughts. One step away from that are words, because they become now distributing our thoughts in the public domain. Our actions are one step further removed, because they leave an impact on the physical world, and that impact can have its kind of almost leave us and become dislocated from our being. And our possessions are so far away from ourselves that they are transacted, they don't become attached to us, whereas our limbs remain, we hope, attached to us until 120 years of life. Can you also in Bashar Tov Muslachas, Babir Sadufa Nefesh, Admebesim Sona, Shushushu, Tutu, Papa, just covering all bases. Um, good. Good, good, Joel, you, you, you're okay. So now let's take a little bit of a perusal in the words of the Ramchal and see how that goes. Now I agree that, that I, I hope I didn't overload you with too much intellectual contact in too short amount of time. Um, would you like some comic relief just to kind of make things a little bit easier? No, you're, you, well, of course, but you wouldn't like comic relief because you never want comic relief. <laughs> For you, comic relief is fundamentally and intrinsically bad, isn't it, Banai? I guess I'm getting comic relief then. I, unavoidably, it just kind of happened. <laughs> Let's look at the Ramchal, see what he has to say. We're on chapter um, three. Really kind of launched forward. And... And in chapter three, do you know what? This is. Let me just read you the last paragraph in chapter two because. I think there's something here which is a secret, and maybe we can reveal it. I'm going to read through the words in the last paragraph in chapter th- chapter two, and uh, maybe we'll spot something which is just beneath the surface, urging to urging to come out. If that's okay with you, Brand, or would you maybe just like like to have a little bit of a rest? No, it looks like that. No, it's the second time I've got that today. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I mean, that jacket looks extremely comfy. Maybe just like put your head on one of those very very padded sleeves and. Just have a brief, you know, schleffel, as they say in Yiddish. It's a diminutive form of one schloff, a big schloff, and a small schleffel. Yeah, um, look, I don't know if they use that word in Mumbai. (laughs) No. It's not like the characteristic Mumbai way of saying sleep. Maybe you should. You should introduce it. Do you know what I'm saying? Just like announcing shul before Erev Shabbos, you know? Not Erev Shabbos. (laughs) After Shachri, you say, Okay, guys, I'm just off to have a small schleffel. Good. Um, no, I think it's important to introduce a little bit of Yiddish into the Mumbai community. I feel they. I get about the book, Easy Shmeezy Yiddish. You could, you could use the Easy Shmeezy Guide to Yiddish, or, or you could just start saying words, like randomly. Like instead of referring to, to what do you refer to your, your synagogue as? Oh, no, sure. They say sure. Uh, they say sure. See, it's happening. So what I want you to do is as follows. What you have to do is you have to like, you have to like just surreptitiously say something like, guys, we're going to meet at the Stiebel later mm. on. 
And they'll say, what's a shiva? Say, oh, it's a small shul. A shul's quite small, it's small, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. And then, and, then, and then once you get there, you start to serve afterwards like these little biscuits with which you've got like, chopped herring on them. I don't know if you can buy chopped herring in I Mumbai. Could, I could sell shrimels as well. You could like, get <laughs> in a, sell a few shrimels. They're not going to know what they're from. You just say, it's a shrimel. I've got to make sure I don't make it from cows. As long as it's not from cars, <laughs> it should be okay. If you start making strangles from cars, it's going to be problematic. Problematic. Okay, so, so let's look at the Derech Hashem. You, you okay, Brandon? Did, did they wake you up? Very good, thank you. Yeah, good, I'm glad that did the, the trick. <laughs> we are going to be having a little bit more about introducing each terminology into the Mumbai community, <laughs> so just stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, let me just one, maybe one more little... little I mean, like, how are we going to get the word schmooze? So I, I have a way of doing it. Okay. Now, I, I don't know. Are samosas a popular? Yeah. So, so we are halfway there. You know, if you say samosa, yeah. samosa, smusel, <laughs> schmooze. <laughs> so you can say a person, guys, you want to have some, 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 some schmoozes? And they say, you mean samosa? You say schmooza. And then before long, you can get schmooze in there. It's not. It's just. It's all about. No, no, samosa is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone knows what samosas are. Daniel, you know what samosa is? Of course. Probably talked to your father about this. He's the chief rabbi. Yeah, no, he's not the chief rabbi. No, he's chief rabbi of India. Oh, God. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Focus, 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 Ramey. Stand topic. Vihine says the Derek Hashem. Haskola, he defines the inner structure of a person in the following way. And now you see something really interesting. Vihine, Haskola, Vichola Hamidais Toivos, Haskola, which is, uh, it's another way of saying Seichel, the intellectual component of a person, Vichola Hamidais Toivos, and all a person's good attributes, Heim Inyane Shleimus. They are the matters of perfection, of completion, which are there for a person to reach his completion. And the material, and the bad traits, that's the, the lacking, the deficiency. Now look what he says. This is really interesting. This last line is a winner. Adam Musam that the man is placed between them. in order to acquire perfection. In other words, the man is placed between them. So I want to illustrate what I believe the point is over here. What we did discuss at some point in time was the notion of freedom of choice. Freedom of choice, we said, only can occur when the pull between the two conflicting interests are perfectly poised and balanced. As an illustration, if a person is conflicted between whether he should sign this deal which is slightly compromised in its legality but will make him a lot of money, or not sign it and maintain his integrity, and he has as much pull to sign as not to sign, so to put him to this incredibly difficult conflict where there's no part of him which is pulling more than the other and there's a directly equal pull on either side so now he's straddled between these two conflicting desires that's called freedom of choice 
In other words, if the pull towards signing is greater, it's not freedom of choice. There's, there's already a, there's, it's already the, the odds are stacked. If the pull is more towards him not signing, the odds are stacked. So the only time freedom of choice can occur is when there's this complete and beautiful balance between the two struggles. And so now this is really the, the, the quandary. Well, okay. So if there's a part of him, let's say his integrity, which is pulling viciously on one side of this um, tug of war towards not signing, and there's this desire for profit, which is pulling so strongly on the other side of this tug of war, and now he has to figure, and the pulls are equal. When he makes the decision, who's the chooser? In other words, it's not the integrity, because integrity is in the battle. And it's not the desire for profit, because those are the, those are the, those are the two sides of the conflict, and now he has to decide between the two sides. So he's external to the conflict. So the Adam, the man, is the chooser. He's not the pulls. He's not the struggles. So now look carefully at the words. He says, Shehadam, Shehadam, the man, Musam name. he's placed between these two pools. Likno Yislam is the goal is to incline it to the side of completion and perfection. So the question is, who is the man? No, the seichel is the pull. The seichel is the pull. But we established that seichel was the little like man in the control room, like freaking out when things are going wrong. Read through this paragraph again. That's why I called you to read through this paragraph. V'hinei haskala v'cholamidas toivos heim inyanei shlemus. So the the areas of completion are seichel and good midas. That the man can use them, not that they are the man, the man can use them to become complete. And the matters of the material and the bad midas are those are the deficiencies. That the man is placed between these two pools. It's the goal being that he should acquire perfection. You, you're using a term that we haven't been introduced to in the Derech Hashem, so that's, oh. that's offside. It's more than offside. It's just like playing a different game. <laughs> like walking onto a cricket pitch with a baseball bat. Not that would help, Tucker. It would be much better to walk onto a baseball <laughs> pitch with a cricket bat. That you, Tucker, do something with. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know how much easier we play bat ball if they, they, they realize that if you don't make the bat round, you can properly hit the ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's make a round bat. That's a clever thing to do. <laughs> how is it that material is the opposite of seichel? Sorry, I'm speaking about baseball. <laughs> um, how is it that material is the opposite of? Seichel. Seichel. Core seichel spirituality. So it's really interesting. The way the Ramchal designs a person, he describes that there's Seichel, which we'll call thoughts. Chomer, which we'll call the material, the body. And then you've got good traits and bad traits, which are somehow in between 
the body and the, and, and the spiritual. And none of those are the person. So that seichel that we talked about, that like... Um, is, is not the seichel over here. Okay. We use the word seichel loosely. So this is really interesting because it means that there's the essence of a person you're starting to feel exists in a place above, above, above the struggles which the choice involves. The man is possibly best described as the chooser, but he's not the choice. Sorry? He's the chooser, not the choice. In other words, you've got two choices. Should I get the profit or should I be honest. Those are the choices. The man is the chooser, mm-hmm. but he's not the desire for profit. He's not the desire, t- the desire for integrity. He's the one that decides should I have integrity or should I? In other words, it's a very, it's a, it could be, and we're going to have to develop this theme further, but it would be fascinating in terms of just even the way we speak when we describe our traits we can describe them in different ways and they will have different functions in our internal concept of our identity. For example, if I say, I was angry, it means I define myself by my, by my anger. If I say, I had an angry bout, it means I understand the anger is an external to myself. My anger, I use the possessive pronoun, my anger overcame me, I'm distancing myself from the trait. I'm a really kind person is an identity with a good matter, which again is untrue. Rather, I have kindness that I can use is a true phrase. Mark Jacob, what would you like to ask? Um, so what's completion? Completion, according to the, the Ramchal, is the state whereby you approximate